You're now listening to episode 33 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costello here today with Michael Blanc, a multifamily investor and syndicator who is passionate about helping others become financially free in three to five years by investing in apartment buildings. In this episode, we discuss why he chose multifamily, how he analyzes deals, due diligence tips, and more. Michael Blanc is a leading authority in apartment building investing, and through his investment company, he controls over $24 million in performing multifamily assets across the United States and raised over $6 million. In addition to his own efforts, he's helped students purchase over 1,600 units valued at over $55 million through his unique deal desk and training programs. He's author of the best-selling book, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing, and host of the popular podcast, Apartment Building Investing. Before we jump right into today's episode, we want to remind you about our virtual workshops. They are not a webinar, but rather our virtual workshops are a highly interactive experience that puts you in a room with our tax strategists as well as fellow real estate investors. We will discuss a topic for the first 15 to 20 minutes and then open the room up for questions. This is the perfect opportunity to get answers to those real estate tax and accounting questions that you've been dying to ask while at the same time discovering what other real estate investors are asking. You could sign up for our virtual workshops by visiting therealestatecpa.com backslash virtual dash workshop or by following the link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. So Mike, a pleasure to have you on today. Uh, could you give our audience a little information on your background, how you got started in real estate, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, man, uh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, first of all. And uh yeah, you know, I got started with, uh, I won't go back too far, but I have a software background job and joined the software startup, made a bunch of money in IO and rich dad, poor dad and threw it all away. And my big idea for financial freedom, that's what I wanted after I read that book was to get into the restaurant business, which long story short, subsequently lost my IPO millions and uh, clawed my way out through real estate. And like so many people, when they're thinking real estate, they're thinking single family houses. So I was flipping houses. I was wholesaling, uh, had a few uh, rentals. And I got into apartment building and you know, was making good money and then realized that I just it was so much work and it would take so long to actually replace my expenses. Meanwhile, there's this apartment building that's sending me mailbox money. And I was like, man, I got to do more of that and a little bit less of this. And then people were curious about, and I, at that point, because I deployed everything in the restaurants and lost everything, I had to raise money for the flus and the apartments. People were asking me how I'd, I raised money and how I put the deals together and I started you know, blogging for the bigger pockets in my own site and uh, created, created this, this analysis software. And one thing led to another. So today we have one of the leading you know, educational platforms on apartment building investing with a special focus on raising money. And uh, we have live events, we have online programs, coaching, a book came out six weeks ago. And, uh, and we also have this deal desk where we're joint venturing with people and we've done nine deals totaling a thousand units by joint venturing with people. So really excited, lots of stuff going on. Awesome, exciting stuff. Uh, what was it really about multifamily specifically that attracted you to that investment strategy over the various other things you've tried? 
Yeah, a few, a few things. Uh, the major one was I realized that the real estate investing I was doing was not actually conducive to the lifestyle I was looking for, which was much more passive. As you know, when you're flipping houses uh, or even if you're doing rentals, there's, there's a very active component of it. And with multifamily, the property manager is already built in a business model. In other words, it's, it's a bit unnatural on the multifamily side not to have a professional manager. And I really liked that aspect of it. Uh, second of all, I really liked how, um, how I could get unlimited financing uh, for it. Uh, on a single family house, as you know, there's limits to that you can do. It's, it's a little more cumbersome to do. And you got to personally guarantee it versus on the multifamily, I don't, which is having gone through the restaurant debacle and the recession, uh, having guaranteed basically everything personally was really, really attractive. And what I really liked about it was that I could scale it. In other words, I could achieve my financial goals much faster with less transactions. And even better, I could start small and naturally the deals got bigger and bigger and bigger without me trying much harder at the same time. So it really, fundamentally, it got me to where I wanted to go uh, much faster. And, and having studied it now in my podcast and our coaching students, this is a very replicatable process. And all we have to focus on really is that first deal and everything essentially takes care of itself after that. Fascinating. So you're big on analyzing deals. You said that you built a software program, and I know that you have an entire like system and everything in place to help people analyze deals and, and the system that you follow yourself. What are the top three things that you look out for when you're analyzing a deal? Well, top three things. Um, let me just say, when I, when I first started doing uh, apartments in 2007, it took me four hours to, quote, analyze a deal. Uh, basically, <laughs> answer the question... You get this marketing packet from the from the broker and you're trying to make an offer. It took me four hours to get to that point, which is a long time. And it, it's not just me. It's most everybody. Like, man, I'm spending so much time. And as you know, it's a numbers game. If I don't make offers, I don't get deals. And now we have it down to you know a 10-minute process. And so you know, today, back then, I didn't have the tools we have today or the technique to do that. And so with this 10-minute process, I can make a lot more offers. What would you say is the things you look for in that 10-minute process? What are the things, the key things you look for to discover whether or not you're going to move forward past just the initial first look? Well, the first thing is, look, when you first get to get deal in, there's no need to do a lot of research or phone calls or even visit the property. You need to use some rules of thumbs to kind of get to the point where are you, isn't the asking price even in a ballpark of what the fair market value is of that? And you can achieve that very quickly by simply using what's in the marketing package from the brokers. You're using the broker's numbers that's in the package essentially against them. So, so you guys know what the cap rate is. Does the audience know what, a, what the cap rate is or should we talk about that? Could you just give a brief just overview of so the cap rate? The cap rate is, a, is a, a multiplier of income that determines the fair market value of a commercial building. And this cap rate varies. It's uh, typically lower in, in good markets, which means it's an inverse relationship. Uh, it means the, the prices are higher. I don't want to get too in the weeds on it, but the cap rate, the best place the source of it is your broker. So you get this broker, this, and it's normally in the marketing package. It's a great deal at an eight cap, right? And if it's not in there, uh, you can get your talk to your broker and say, hey, you know, what's the cap rate? What, what are things trading at in this market? And they'll go, oh, it trades between seven and a half and eight percent. Great. So you got your cap rate. You have your one piece of information. Then you take the income, and the income is almost always overstated, right? Vacancies of three percent. <laughs> no, no building has a vacancy of 3%. So you throw that out, you put 10% in there, then the expenses are almost always understated. 32% of income. That does never happens. Use 50%. So you adjust the income, you adjust the expenses, and then you get your adjusted net operating income. And then you apply the cap rate to that, right? So you take the NOI uh, divided by the cap rate and out pops your new fair market value. 
which is almost always below asking. The big question is how far below asking is it? And then you call up the broker and say, hey, this is a great deal, fantastic. You know, uh, look at your income a little bit. It's a bit understated, 3% in my experience. It's much, you know, it's more like 10%. I'll go, yeah, okay, whatever. And your expenses at 32%, you know, normally in my experience, they're more like 50%. Eh, okay, well, all right. I don't have the time really to, there's probably something missing. I don't really have, I'm looking at a lot of deals right now. Uh, there's probably maybe real estate taxes missing or insurance. I, I don't really know. I just know the low. So the NOI is now XYZ divided by your cap rate and out is a fair cap, a market value of 1.1 million. Is there any room to negotiate that or is that pretty much set? And so number one, you didn't spend more than 10 minutes on the analysis and you actually just made an offer. And if the guy falls over laughing or hangs up the phone, you know, you missed the mark by a mile. And otherwise, if they go, hmm, well, why don't you put something in writing? At that point, you can crack open my syndicated deal analyzer and go and then spend, you know, two, three hours on that. And then what becomes important there is a some kind of financial model that lets you answer that question quickly, but accurately as well. Got it. Okay. So one of the rules of thumb that you mentioned was a 50% expense ratio. Do you find that that's relatively accurate for kind of the back of the napkin analysis? Relatively accurate. Relatively accurate. Okay, cool. So once you advance in this due diligence process, how are you verifying the income and expenses? Because you said that most of the time income's overstated, most of the time expenses are understated. Once we get past the offer stage, what are we doing to verify those income and expense numbers? Yeah, verifying the income is is very very important because you can have you know rent rolls and T three and T twelve all day long, but you really want to see it in a bank account is really where you want to see and and sometimes uh, there's there are sellers to commingle funds and there are sellers who for some odd reason don't want to disclose that information and uh, that's a problem uh, so we have to verify income because it happened to me. It's happened to others where you get into the building and you're all happy and you get in there and realize that half of them are actually deadbeats. No one's paying the rent. And that's a really big problem because not only do you not have the cash flow you need to pay your, your mortgage, but now you get evicted guys. Now it's going to cost you money. It's going to take you some time to get them out. And you put new, so it's a real, it's a, actually, it's a really big problem. So the way we've gotten not around it is if a seller absolutely does not want to cooperate at all, we walk from the deal. Like, there's many ways around it. Uh, but that is a non-negotiable. Now, what we have done in a certain instance where it was just impossible to actually verify every single check was ever deposited, it was a larger property. They had 5,000 units and for some reason able to produce this. We just didn't audit. We took 10% of the units. We picked them at random. We wanted to see the three cash, uh, checks from cash, uh, cash checks from the last three months. And audit was 100% accurate. So based on that, like, okay, it looks like everything else is in order. Had that not been accurate, we either would have requested everything or we would have walked from the deal. But verifying the income is like my one non-negotiable. And how far back are you looking when you're trying to verify income? Because I know we've seen deals you know, from even clients and then non-clients that come across our desk. And it's very clear that the last 12 months was just very dressed up. <laughs> in terms of making it all look very nice. It was very clear that at some point, 15 months out, the guy was like, we're going to sell and I want to make sure that the next 12 months look amazing. So how far back do you go to verify income? What you're asking is, how much information do you move forward? How much yeah. information are you comfortable with? Really, is the biggest thing. And, and the truth is, uh, a lot of times you don't actually get all the information you really want. Then you got to ask yourself, are you comfortable with this limited information or are you not? 
And now we get into you know, your comfort level with risk as an entrepreneur, because as you know, there's no black and white thing. It's like, you know, woohoo, all in, all out. There's always something that bothers you about the deal. And this is one of them, right? So you get as much as you can and you keep extracting until the basis says, I got no more. So if you ask me three years and they said, I only got the next, the last 12 because my dog ate the homework, then you got a decision to make, right? Are you going to move forward with it or are you going to insist three years uh, when they don't exist? That's very interesting. And, you know, it, it, when it comes to record keeping, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at plenty of deals myself and oftentimes sellers may not always keep the most accurate records. In, in your opinion, how important is it to keep accurate records from an accounting perspective um, for, for you and what you do in your deals? Yeah, this is true, especially when you're in the, in the smaller deals, maybe sub 75 or so, a lot of mom and pop operators, the record keeping, you know, ain't so good, right? And so sometimes it doesn't exist. For me, the most important thing is income. Because if you have nothing around the expenses, you can say 55% is going to be my expenses. You can also get pro formals from your property managers to kind of estimate what that what that. So I could potentially fly blind on the expenses. I prefer to have them, but on the expense side, I could fly blind. Though it would certainly, um, if I don't know what the expenses are, it's very difficult to value the property, right? Are you now overpaying for something? Because if a property is performing great at 50% and they're spending 65%, well, their property is just worth a lot less. So, so really, it's difficult for anyone to value the property if you don't really know what the, what the expenses are. But again, a lot, of, especially when you're dealing with mom and pop, there's just a lot of incomplete information. Sometimes you could get it yourself. You have to call the utility companies. You have to call you know, the county or the city for the, for the taxes. And you have to do a lot of legwork to actually extract what that information is. So when it comes to the way when you're operating your activities, how do you handle your accounting and record keeping? Or what do you recommend uh, to your students on how they will handle their records? So it really depends on what scale you are. I mean, if, you, if, you're, doing, if you're doing your first deal, uh, you know, a, a lot of the record keeps going to be is going to be handled by your property manager, right? There's certain things that they don't handle, like they don't track maybe your mortgage or your real estate taxes or your insurance. But really that monthly statement uh, is is something that on a smaller scale, you can just take those monthly statements and your bank's bank statements and you give them your CPA at the end of the year. And that is typically sufficient for them to do the taxes for the deal. Once you start getting a little more sophisticated, you might have a bookkeeper involved or your property manager becomes more sophisticated where they're tracking all the expenses coming out of their account and their account. And they also start maintaining a balance sheet, which essentially the, the CPA is going to recreate a tax time. And so you can start le- stepping up this level of sophistication. But I think for the first timer, just having a good PM uh, records and your bank statements is enough for the CPA. So this is interesting because a lot of our clients kind of struggle with this. The property manager does a decent job tracking what flows in and what flows out, but doesn't do a great job tracking CapEx, tracking things that are outside the actual day-to-day management of the property. Yep. Uh, and you mentioned you mentioned basically two levels of sophistication, well, two levels of increasing your sophistication. One of those being the PM, the property manager is going to do it for you. They're going to graduate to some new level. Maybe they upgrade their software system or maybe you just get a new PM and then they're going to account for everything. Or you get a bookkeeper to consolidate. Is that right? Consolidate all the property management statements and produce you with a yeah. final, final solid financial report. Yeah, I mean, depending on the sophistication of your property manager is will determine how much post-processing you have to do. So you mentioned, you know, we mentioned some some expenses that you're writing out of your own account. You got to get that into the P&L. Uh, you're talking about CapEx, distinguishing that from things that would otherwise affect your net operating income. Property manager just lumps everything into repair and maintenance and calls it a day, right? So if you look at a P&L, you're never making money, right? And your property value is essentially negative. 
So you got to go in there and remove that. And you have to adjust the actual P&L. And again, if you're doing a first deal, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Uh, once you have some money coming in at that point, you can hire a bookkeeper to do it. And as your deals get bigger, your property managers become more sophisticated and they start doing those things on your behalf. Now, theoretically, if you go and hire a bookkeeper, then that takes away value from the property if you don't have some sort of outside management company that your bookkeeper is technically working for, right? So if the, if the LLC that owns the property hires the bookkeeper, the LLC pays the bookkeeper, the value of that property decreases. So knowing that, and I think a lot of our clients understand that too, and what they try to do is push the work onto the PM because the PM is already charging them that flat, whatever percentage it is of rental income. Is that kind of what you recommend too? Or do you, in your experience, if you just said, get the bookkeeper, that's the way to go? There's no single answer. It always depends on the situation. All I know is you got, someone's got to get it done. So if, the, the, you know, if you want to bootstrap it, you do it. You whip out the spreadsheet and you do it, right? If you got a little money coming in, then use the bookkeeper. If your PM will do it, even better. But not all PMs do that kind of stuff. They, they tend to be you know, on the larger properties when they're using more sophisticated bookkeeping and accounting software, will they do that for you? Just shifting gears just a little bit, you know, you've been an entrepreneur, you've been in the restaurant business, you're in the real estate business. What is, would you say is the best tax advice that you ever received? The best tax advice is to invest in real estate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's always great advice. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, how about this, Michael? If somebody goes and buys a big multifamily property, are there any specific things that that sponsor should be looking at tax-wise? Any decisions that they should be making maybe in that first year of acquisition? Well, we always do a cost segregation analysis, uh, which basically uh, this is depreciate. The reason that real estate is such a great tax thing is something called depreciation, where over 27 and a half years, you can depreciate the value of the building. And it's basically it's this phantom expense. So let's say you make $10,000 a year on this building. And then this depreciation then is this phantom expense. And let's say it's $8,000. And so your actual taxable income is only $2,000, which is really, really cool. And what cost segregation does is it actually accelerates that to the point where 90% of the value of the building is depreciated over seven years. So that $10,000 gain now all of a sudden on the tax form becomes a $5,000 loss, which is really cool. And you can carry that forward. So number one, you're not paying any income on the actual cash you're sticking in the, you're putting in your pocket. And when you sell it, hopefully for a profit, the capital gains is an offset by all the taxable losses. Now, the downside of the cost segregation analysis is that you, know, you got to pay someone to do it. So it costs between six dollars and $8,000. So if you have a really small four, you know, 10 unit, it may not be worth it. So you have, you have to weigh that. But though there are ways you can do it yourself. Again, we're talking about bootstrapping things. You know, there's systems where you can basically do a cost segregation analysis yourself. You just take a spreadsheet and you, you, know, you divide the building into all its constituents, parts, electrical wire, carpets, nails, windows, right? And you apply the tax code to that and you give it to your CPA. And they're like, oh, this is great. And, uh, and now you just accelerated depreciation legally. Yeah, yeah, very good. We do recommend that you hire a professional firm. We we won't even really do cost seg studies for our clients because it is super, super complicated. What we will do is we'll do the back end reporting, we'll do the upfront advising. So we'll help people like understand if a cost seg actually makes sense. Uh, but that's interesting. So you guys always do a cost seg study, regardless of yeah, that, that's cool. He's nodding for everybody that's listening and not, uh, yes. not watching the video. But yes, I'm, I'm, I'm nodding. It's part. Of, it's just part of our business plan. It's a really a benefit we pass on to our investors. Fascinating. Okay. You know, it's interesting too, because I always tell the, we work with a lot of accredited investors and high net worth investors. And they're always like, what do I need to be looking for with my sponsors? And we always say, ask them if they're doing a cost study, but that that's neat. So Michael Blanc, Blanc is always doing, doing a cost study. 
Another good benefit to cost X study too, you mentioned depreciation, but there's a hundred percent bonus depreciation as well, starting in 2018. And for any component with a useful life of less than 20 years, you get to immediately write it off. So we're seeing these cost X studies come out where the property owner is able to write off about 30% of the asset in the first year. So you take a million dollar property, you get a 300K write-off Very nice. in the first year. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. So Mike, in your business right now, if you had to pick one piece of tech, what would be your favorite piece of technology you're currently using? Favorite piece of tech? So um, I think when you're reaching, a, we're about a thousand units or, or so, and you know, plans to get to 10,000 over the next five years. So with that, we need software and systems to help manage our investors and our assets, right? So we're using something, uh, there's, and there's, there's different pieces of software. There's CrowdStreet out there, IMS, uh, Juniper is out there, and these are all platforms intended to help manage the asset and maintain your investor relations. But one of the challenges that, that we have is if, we're, if you're going nationwide with multiple different property managers in multiple different formats, is trying to get a uniform picture of how your assets are performing. And even if the property manager is great, their format's going to be different than the other guy. And then the other guy is maybe not as sophisticated, so there's incomplete information. How do you get it into the uniform thing? So these systems then help you get a single view into the asset and then using that then to provide reporting to your to your investors. Also, when you have a deal, you know you want to be able to email people and help them understand the deal. So let's say we do a webinar and then we want to deal live you know, after login for either accredited investors or people that we know, and then uh, helping them with the DocuSign process and wiring the funds. So doing that on a larger scale requires systems like that. So I think that from a tech perspective, that's probably the biggest, uh, biggest difference for us. Yeah, you know, um, I'm invested in several deals as a limited partner. I got to say that those systems are awesome just to be able to grab and get everything you need right in one spot. So definitely recommend if people out there syndicating, definitely take a look at those systems. Mike, I know you came out with a book recently. Would you mind uh, telling our listeners a little about the book and you know why they'd want to go you know, pick it up? Yeah, it's called uh, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. Here you go, guys. I know you're not doing video, but it's a bright yellow cover. It's on Amazon, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. And it really, I, I wrote it because people are they're thinking about real estate investing uh, to try to you know, quit their job or somewhere, retire early, but they're thinking single family house investing. At least that's what I had. And a lot of people almost always get started with single family investing. And having studied this after a while, uh, it's actually not necessary. And if you look at the people in the book, I get these from my podcast guests, some of our students, they're able to actually literally quit their job within one to two years from, from the time they decide they start investing in multifamily. They're literally have covered their living expenses. And that makes, in my mind, multifamily the most powerful real estate investing strategy on the planet to actually achieve financial freedom quickly and permanently. I don't have to keep flipping things as well. So in the first third of the book, I really addressed the mindset, the objections. How can I do this without any experience? And how can I do this with any of my own cash? And then I actually go through the mechanics of doing the first deal. And once you've seen how that happens, people start being able to visualize it and believe that they can actually do that. And again, all they got to figure out is how to do that first deal. It could be a duplex, it could be a quad, it, could be, it doesn't really matter. And the second and third will just simply come automatically. And that makes this, of all the shenanigans I've done, literally like the best business in the world. So that's awesome. And, and to our listeners out there, you just heard it here. You don't have to start on single families. You could scale very quickly with uh, apartment buildings and you can learn more about that by checking out Mike's book. Now, if our listeners wanted to get in contact with you or your company, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, the website is themichaelblank.com. That's T-H-E, Michael, B-L-A-N-K.com, or just uh, Google Apartment Building Investing. 
should come up on the first page. And I have so many free resources out there. I have a podcast. I have a YouTube channel. I have a free ebook. I have blog articles. So, uh, and then we also have, you know, uh, training and coaching and things of like that. We have live events as, as well. But just check out all the free material, maybe buy the book and just see if multifamily is, is something that's, that's right for you. And then you can take it from there. Awesome. So Mike, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And I uh, want to thank you again for coming on the show. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.